Boom, what's up everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host, Alan Sakian. Very excited to be talking about meditation technology. We have Rohan Dixon joining us on the show. Hello. Hello. Thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely, thanks for having me. It's so exciting seeing all your progress from the first time that I walked into Hacks, the hardware accelerator where you guys were at a couple of years ago and seeing where you're at now. Massive. I mean, you guys had 1,900 backers on Kickstarter, raised over $400,000, and have been making this incredible product with Leaf Therapeutics. So for those that don't know, Rohan Dixit is CEO and founder of Leaf Therapeutics, which teaches people to fight stress and anxiety through a technology called heart rate variability biofeedback. He's also founder of the Internet Party, which is creating a global political revolution through a smartphone app. And you can find all the links in the bio below, getleaf.com, as well as the Twitter profiles, the net.party, the Facebook and LinkedIn as well. So Rohan, let's start things off by asking one of our favorite questions. What are your thoughts on the direction of our world? Wow, that's a big, that's a big question to jump into. Uh, thoughts on the direction of our world? Yeah, I mean, you're catching, you're catching me at an interesting time where, uh, where there's the superficial and there's kind of the long-term trends, right? Uh, yeah, I think at a, at a superficial level, um, there's a lot you can say about what's happening in this particular, uh, you know, this country perhaps, administration, you know, but the long-term trends I think are very exciting, very interesting. And uh, yeah, it seems like the world is, is coming closer and closer together and there's some sort of emergent effects that are coming out of that, which are pretty, pretty wild to look through. What do you think are some of the most important uh, consciousness raising tools that we have that we need to spread? That's a great question. Um, yeah, one really simple consciousness raising tool that a lot of people are already familiar with is just connection, human connection with your family, with people that you love. Um, that's a huge one and really, really important. Uh, another one that is, you know, people talk about trying meditation and what is that and things like this, but um, a lot of those attentional practices that in some cases are very old can be really helpful in terms of changing how you perceive things and letting go of things that might not be working for you. And I mean, we're such cognitive animals sometimes, it's easy to get stuck in our heads. So it's important to take a step back. Um, and then I know you're big on this, connection to nature. I feel like that's another huge one. You know, we gotta get out into the natural environment and, and reset ourselves a little bit. So those are three that I really like, that I resonate with. Yeah, I agree, those are massive. And Many people, especially the indigenous elders from the world, are saying that our disconnection from nature is the reason why we have so many of the issues that we have in our civilization. We're now stacked into these artificial cities in the metropolises, away from starlight, away from growing food on farms, all these types of things. And, and then when we have the disconnect from human connection and love um, and empathy as well with the new behind the keyboard lifestyles. Yep. Yeah, so to be very vigilant with these things and to remember to go back and, and kind of like go back and fetch, it, fetch these ancient technologies, the meditations, the natures, the eye to eyes, yeah. Our ancestors would be proud of us if we did so yes. as, as we build this singularity in the Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah. Rohan, let's get into the journey. So you're born in Chicago, and then you ended up doing cognitive neuroscience at Northwestern. How did you end up picking, your picking up your interests when you were a kid? Yeah, gosh. Uh, as a kid, I was super into science. 
very excited about science, and I would like spend time in the libraries, reading and learning. And um, but I, I mean, my kind of transformative experience was maybe fifteen, somewhere around there, where I got uh, I got super depressed and kind of anxious just about the world in general. So I started reading the newspaper, and right, this is this is before the, the internet was everywhere. Reading newspapers and. Gosh, there's a lot of inequities just in the world, you know. It was it was a very depressing kind of realization to say, oh wow, like we're all doing well here in this where we are in, in my neighborhood here in in the States and then just across this ocean over here people are starving and in some cases, you know, even closer than that. Um, so yeah, I mean there was, I kinda had a crisis of faith and humanity, really. And so that was um, the beginning point for me for a lot of stuff. Um, including kind of this, this journey with Leaf and, and learning about meditation, because I found a book about meditation, and that, uh, that really changed my life. And, uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, at 15, to get the awakening of, of inequities around the world is massive. And it can then guide our trajectory on a path of trying to um, help uplift all those um, around the world, including ourselves and our communities, but all of those around the world. Um, and doing that most effectively is another question with this idea of effective altruism. How do you effectively um, uplift those around the world? Exactly. Yeah, these types of questions. And then what were you doing at, with your research days? I was looking this up at Stanford and Harvard. There was a lot of neuroimaging happening. There was a lot of understanding um, resting state networks um, and uh, functional imaging of altered states of consciousness, like coma, epilepsy, anesthesia, these types of things. So teach us about what those days were like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it actually goes to your point about, you know, what is the most effective means to, to help yourself, to help us, and to help the people around us. Um, and, you know, we live in the age of science. And so meditation is a very old thing, but it turns out there's a bunch of attentional practices and things that actually work in there that are based on our biology. And so that's actually, that's why I became a neuroscientist. And so what we were studying at um, at Harvard and Stanford was the structural underpinnings of different states of consciousness. And in some cases, you know, meditation was one of those. Long-term meditators, how do their brain networks change? All with the goal of saying, okay, well, what are the actual quantitative measurable things that we can kind of say about meditation? Like um, beyond, you know, what might be considered myth by some people or, or a legend. And how can we make it real for people? And then what, would do, what did you see with uh, like long-term meditators' brains? Oh man. I mean, the first thing that's, like, that's kind of funny but also was very annoying to me was how happy they were all the time. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess when, <laughs> when you're in a state where you're kind of stressed out or like not feeling that great, um, yeah, the contrast with somebody who's very, very at peace with themselves and... Um, Whoa. And calm, yeah, I think it, you know, it makes an impact on you. So it, that made an impact on me. And then when we were looking at their brains, of course, and a lot of this ended up getting published later in um, you know, newspapers and, and big publications, which is great. But um, yeah, I mean, their brains are very, very different. It's, uh, it's interesting and exciting to see that attentional training practices can change the physical structure of your brain, change white matter tracks, change how thick your gray matter is in different places, all that kind of stuff. There's like one foot that's in meditation and moment to moment 
bliss and unbounded wholeness. And then there's, what's crazy is that this brings us back to what you were learning when you were 15, is that you have to almost have one foot also in activism. You have to like balance those two things. Because if we're just in a state of the unbounded wholeness, unity, then how are we making steps to make sure that people around the world have eradicate suffering, increase their, their track to meaning? Yeah. That's such a key point, and I think it's something that a lot of people miss. Uh, this is now coming around in, in this country, though, right? There was an article that was floating around recently called, uh, kind of calling out the mindfulness culture and, and making this point that basically, you know, if you're using meditation as a salve, one, to you know, decrease stress in a job that you probably shouldn't be at or is inherently perhaps you know, pushing you in ways you shouldn't be pushed, then maybe that's not that helpful. But your point is even more fundamental. Like uh, you know, we, With LEAF, our, our technology, or kind of meditation technology, we were in Texas, uh, in San Antonio, for like a couple months uh, earlier this year. And giving mental health services to people who are mostly on Medicaid and um, below the, you know, they're struggling. They're, they're below the poverty line or close to it. And, you know, there's only so much you can do uh, to help somebody that's internal because I think you need both. You need the, you need the supporting structure of the society, right, yes. to be able to promote the right conditions for your inner, inner peace and, and well-being to blossom too. Yeah, yeah. That's another way to look at it is also that there's this inner um, drive towards um, peace and unity, but there also needs to be a social fabric that m enables that more easily. And then what was BrainBot? That was four years, cutting edge neuroscience meets wearable wellness. Seems, sounds like a lot like LEAF, yeah. Yeah, yeah, similar kind of ideas. So I mean, basically, you know, like I was saying, I, I was kind of stressed out and anxious as a kid, found meditation, and figured something must have changed in my brain. And so what I realized in working in, in laboratories studying this was, one, um, we already know a lot about meditation. Like it does have effects, it is changing things. Um, the big problem is actually that people don't know how to do it. And, uh, and so that kind of became my driving, driving impetus. So the way that BrainBot, the, kind of the first company in the space that, that I started, uh, began was basically like buying a one-way ticket from the lab to the Himalayan mountains to go find those meditators, live with them in the caves. And um, so I was out there for like almost a year, just putting brainwave equipment on people, meditating with them, recording, using AI to try to figure out, you know, what are the signals in here that are corresponding to different meditative states. And so that all culminated in this kind of brainwave headset that taught you how to meditate. So yeah, and that was, that was BrainBot. And uh, we ended up licensing that to another company which now uses that with tens of thousands of patients around the country who have chronic pain and teaches them how to decrease some of their anxiety around the pain by yeah. using mindfulness. Which, yeah, yeah. You, you actually went out there for a year <laughs> yeah, and, and did the work in the Himalayas, wow. Yeah. So then those insights of how, uh, how people were able to decrease their stress or anxiety states were then able to be applied then to um, this technology that you then licensed and then you ended up mm, basically right after BrainBot starting Leaf Therapeutics. Yeah, That's yeah. It's been four years now. It has. It's been a long time, but uh, you it's been exciting. You guys crushed it on Kickstarter. Over 400,000, 1,900 backers in just a couple months. 
smart patch that fights stress and anxiety. And then I like how you um, described it as uh, heart rate variability biofeedback. So we also have a really cool demo to show. And we'll have, we'll have you using your, yeah, so you're wearing this. Yeah, right maybe now. I can just show. Let's show it first. Show yeah, what it is, Ron, so. will, Ron can zoom in on it to yeah. hold it straight up like, yeah. So yeah. basically this is a, this is a smart patch. It's actually an ECG like you would get like, you know, in a hospital or something like that. But it's measuring your heart rate very accurately. It's like flexible patch. It's got these little sticky pads on so it. So ECG, electrocardiogram. Electrocardiogram. Okay. Uh, yeah, but what's cool and different about this is that it's actually got a little bit of meditation built into it. So it will actually vibrate when it's detecting that you're stressed out and you can breathe with those vibrations kind of just to yourself, right? Only you can feel them. And it teaches you the optimal breathing pattern called heart rate variability biofeedback, which makes you feel a lot better. So let me, let me just take a little bit. So, all right, so we have, we have what looks like a, like a, it's, this is very like flexible. You made it flex, flex right. well. Right, conform to the body. Conform to the body. And these are two adhesive pieces. Right, exactly. Okay, and then, are the electrode, is there electrode within the adhesive pieces? Within the adhesive, yeah, so that's an ECG sticker. Okay, so two, okay. Yeah, it's two just like you would get in a hospital, you okay. know, except those stickers, we had to work a little bit to make sure that they're easy on your skin and you can use them, you know, without hurting, yeah. take it on and off, stuff like that. And then, and then so then, then these are monitoring the biosignals of my heart and then they're detecting when if my, if my heart rate variability is starting to, in this case, it would be... Drop. Drop. Right. So if my variability is very low, um, then I'm getting a little, there's also a vibrational device in here that vibrates, and then that teaches me to... to take the breath, and then we can we'll literally see the readout of okay let's so then yeah. so do you so you're putting this right is this like right under it's your, going right under yeah under your heart um okay. so kind of just right on the left side of your of your body okay and yeah okay, cool. and we have the and we have the app up as well so this is your yeah okay, this is your app this is me in real time this is my body so this is your body in real time yeah yeah okay okay what what's the chat screen your chat you can chat with like yeah with with like an AI doctor or something or like a coach or the get leaf coach yeah we have these coaches now that kind of pair with with your device so basically you know people who have stress or you know symptoms of anxiety things like that um, sometimes you just need a little help to figure out how to build routines into your life that can decrease that stress and um, yeah so we kind of pair it with your coach so you can kind of you can sign up for a coach as well, and they'll talk to you and chat with you through the app, and in some cases, you'll do phone calls and things like that. Okay. Yeah. So it's a, it's a human coach. It's a human coach. For now. And then there's also potentially, yeah, an right. AI component too. Okay. Right, right, right. There's a lot of AI stuff happening on the back end where we're detecting what your mental state is. But, um, but yeah, at a super high level, this is kind of like, these are your stats. Okay. Right? We were talking about heart rate variability, and yeah. just like you mentioned, like as your heart rate variability starts to drop, as the, variabil the variability and just the natural kind of rhythm of your heart gets very tense and tight, the variation drops, and that's a signal called HRV, which you can actually track. So, what, like, does it, what does 26 mean per what? Yeah, so that is the RMSSD 
which is it's like an algorithm they use to to measure this hrv but basically it's kind of like a moment-to-moment track of um your your straight the state of stress in your body uh, and that number being lower is more stress. Is more stress, and yeah. And if it's, like, is 10 about really stressed, or is, what is the number for really stressed versus yeah. not really stressed? That's a good question. I'm actually curious what your numbers would be, because uh, my perception of you is you're, like, a pretty relaxed guy. Um, I, on the other hand, obviously, like, as I mentioned, uh, you know, struggle with anxiety. And so my numbers are, this is my baseline. I'm in the gray zone for me, which is my neutral which is 26, but your neutral might be 50 or 75. Oh, for like really good meditators, are their neutral states like 75 It or could something? easily, it could easily be. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, so this device kind of personalizes to you, okay. and then it'll track your red zone, you know, quote unquote. Okay. And is this then your um, kind of like 10 minute intervals or so, or five minute intervals, these, these yellow, blue, green lines at the top by the one to 2 p.m.? Exactly. Exactly. And uh, like say this was a stressful experience, which you've made it very, very relaxed and it's a, a lovely talk. But I mean, sometimes I will give a talk and I'll be really stressed out. Right? Um, public speaking can be stressful. And this will just be all red and yellow. Red and yellow. Okay, so red is worst. Yellow is second worst. A little better. A little better. And then, then is it gray? Gray and, is like neutral. And then it's green, then blue. Is it, so blue is the least stressed exactly most meditative right so you're trying to find yourself in maybe green and blue most of the day if you can right that's where you want to try to move yourself if you're feeling stressed out and the way that that works is you know either the device will turn on automatically or if you're feeling anxiety you can just tap it and you'll notice this is kind of jumping me into this exercise Oh, so you just tap, so you just literally just hit your device on your chest and and it drop and it takes you right into an exercise yeah and so Right, what I'm feeling now, you can't, you, you can maybe your feel this. Your goal is long, oh, so you're getting vibrations. I'm right? getting vibrations now. So I'm in this interactive exercise with my own body. Okay. And if this wasn't on the screen, nobody would know this is happening. Okay. So you can do this in the line, you can do this in the meeting, ah. anytime. Okay. Um, oh, so you just tap it and then you can go into your own meditation, just completely in your own bubble, yeah, of experience. And so it vibrates to tell you inhale, and then it vibrates to tell you exhale, is that how it's? Yeah, what's happening is it's going to vibrate as your heart rate starts to drop. And so you can kind of see uh, there's this sort of wave pattern, which is maybe happening a little bit here. Um, This is my heart rate in real time. And you can kind of see it's 78, now it's 77, 75. Now, if I start to breathe with this device, the goal of heart rate variability biofeedback, this technology that's kind of like meditation, is essentially to turn your heart into a wave pattern and increase your variability in your heart rate. So I'll okay. just I'll just do that now. Yep. Um, I'm getting a vibration on that exhale.
And what you can see happening here is my color is actually gone green already in just a few minutes of, a few seconds of, of breathing with this device. Um, yeah, I think then, you started at like 25 on heart rate variability, now you're up to 35. Yeah. Already up to 35, and so, yeah, essentially these little uh, doses, we call them, of biofeedback of mindfulness throughout your day. They're three minutes, and we intersperse them throughout you know, somebody's day to basically help them maintain their baseline or feel a little, a little less anxious, a little less stressed. Okay, and I also saw that the, it was cool seeing the little tips on the screen, like you're doing great, keep up the good work, you know, these like little friendly tips. And so then you can also then, you just tap it to instigate your own session of, of heart rate variability biofeedback. Um, also, you, you're also, you're also sometimes notified when your heart rate availability is very low and it, it buzzes you itself and tells you exactly. to do it. Exactly, right. And so that's what we call that uh, auto-dose and basically. Auto-dose. Yeah. You like dose you, yourself. You dose yourself or you auto-dose. Because you, you need it. You need the little reminders, right? I mean, the big thing for me, I, mean, I don't know if this is your experience, but when I'm really stressed out, sometimes if it's going on for a long period of time, I may not recognize and it's easy to kind of forget and not oh, yeah. be aware. Oh yeah, so the, this is the the faster like the half life of negative emotions is you know it's so it's short yeah. and like we have to know when we can take the reins of feel of our own feelings exactly. and like we can be negative for thirty seconds or we can be negative for thirty minutes or three hours and it's up to us to to reclaim our minds and. Yeah. So you can act. So you have this. You have this dose. You have like an analysis of what your session was, of what this dose was. Absolutely, and it's this key biometric, right? I mean, it's almost like magic. HRV, RA variability, and if you can just make sure that you're getting these doses and improving that biometric, you are gonna feel better. And there's a ton of research now showing it with, you know, not just stress, but things like anxiety, depression, PTSD, cravings, substance abuse. It's it's a pretty awesome thing, and so. Yeah, I mean, we're now trying to see what are the ways that we can you know, frame this in the language of science, which it is, and get it to people instead of drugs, which are now being prescribed for so many mental health conditions, when in reality, maybe we can start to use some of these other approaches. Whoa, so the over-prescribing of drugs, which we were just talking about with, um, Phil Borges was just on the show talk um, with Crazy Wise Film, he was basically doing like indigenous elders from around the world are able to do really cool things with not only like meditation but also connection to nature, also with um, like just tribe and dance and play and and um, and healing and all different types of, of ways. Meanwhile, we're over here with our mental health crisis, disconnected from nature, pumping pharmaceuticals in as our solution. But it's really as simple at times as doing this this closed loop feedback with heart rate variability and you can sense how you feel after an exercise like this and you can get more and more in tune with decreasing your own stress, decreasing the instances of PTSD maybe coming up. It's a big, it's a big deal and we need the help. You know, there is a mental health crisis, so. These, this is one of those new solutions that I think is gonna be, you know, you'll see it more and more. Yeah, and then, okay, so then 
I, I get the little, I get the dose screen and then with the dose screen then I, you know, I adjust my slider with at this moment my mood is this and then this kind of acts as like a little, like, in a sense it's almost like a, you have your own chain of experiences that you have, can then go, can, I, I can go back and see, okay, I did this at 3.23, I had plus 10 at 7 p.m. and maybe one up plus 15. Yeah, type exactly. thing. Exactly, and so you can, I mean, you know yourself best. It's almost like a, what's cool about it is, you know, it's a journal about yourself and how you're feeling and, you know, where your head's at, and so. It's a journal of yourself, yeah, yeah how you're feeling. Yeah, yeah, um, which, is a, which is exciting, and I think, you know, what I've learned just by looking at this kind of data and kind of, you know, experiencing how my body feels in relation to the biometric is that, you know, you don't need to wear a device forever. Yeah. to become aware of this stuff. Yeah. It's almost like training wheels on a bike, you know. You yeah. put them on in the beginning and once you know how to ride your two-wheeler, you can take them off. And I feel like that is the that is the beauty of mindfulness tools like this, of this type of technology, biofeedback more broadly. It's um it's giving you something you can take with you. Yeah, I was going to ask you that question. So then we can potentially use um the Leaf hardware for maybe um a couple months or a year, however long we need to use it in order to kind of train ourselves better. And then we then maybe can go days or weeks without it to see if we can do it without needing the the device on us. And then maybe if we need its assistance later, we can put it back on. If we don't, then maybe we can pass it on to someone else that needs it, these types of things. Absolutely. And like, what are the business models that work with that? So we're experimenting yeah. with you know, rentals, you know, maybe you oh, don't yeah. want to, you don't need a device forever, so you shouldn't have to keep paying for one forever, or just sitting there not helping anyone, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean. So there's an upfront cost for the hardware, if you want to buy. We do a, we do a subscription where you can either oh, get the hardware okay. or the hardware plus the coach together, and it's just a monthly thing. Oh, it's whenever. a monthly thing now? Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. it's not a, it's not like a, I think the device was what, like almost three hundred. It was like three or four hundred bucks before, yeah. Which is a big barrier for people. Okay. So, and um, now I can just get it shipped to me for like what, like ten or twenty bucks a month? Is it? So if you are just using the device, it's um, you know we're still playing with the price points, but yeah. it'll be something in the range of fifty dollars, something right, something like per that per month. Per month, right? Where um, you know you may want to pair that with coaching services as well, and so you can kind of like. We'll see how this shakes out, but yeah. it's important to me to think about these kind of business models and experiment with them because totally. yeah. you know, most wearables end up in a drawer and yeah. we're trying to help as many people as possible. So how do you, once That's you don't need point. something, recycle it? How do you recycle it? Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. yeah, most wearables end up in a drawer. That's not cool. I agree. We actually have some wearables that have ended up in the drawer ourselves as well from like four years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we need to get better at, at that process because these take also, you know, natural resources from the planet and we put them into the devices and then if we just stop using them, we don't recycle or reuse these products. You know, we, you know, this is kind of like the, the, what we get into with the process of purchasing things that we may not actually need when do we actually need them to help with things like meditation technology seems like something that's you know more valuable than an additional watch or whatever that we need to flaunt 
uh, you know, these types of, of thought processes at least. So then, okay, so then the model is something like uh, a monthly subscription then, and you're still playing around with, okay, and people can, this is hard because you also have to ship them a device and they have, you have to know if they're gonna, um, you know, take good care of the device or not because it's an expensive device and all these types of other questions. They have to replace the adhesives every couple of, Every couple of days, right? Every so we send them the adhesives every, every month. Every couple of days. Mm -hmm. okay. So you have new adhesives maybe every like three days or something. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely some people who will wear an adhesive for like months and months. And okay. that. And it works? It does, but it's pretty gross. It's uh, okay. So I mean, everyone has a different threshold and you know, what's yeah. important to them in terms of waste versus um, you know, oh, yeah. cleanliness and things like oh, that. Oh, waste but, is cleanliness, okay, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, that's the model. And if you think about it, I mean, honestly, what we're dealing with, you mentioned the mental health crisis. There's 40 million people that have anxiety, you know, maybe 16 million is who that have depression. In the world? That's just in the United States. That's just in the just United States. Just here. 40 million? That's a lot. And it's like one out of every, what, 10, yeah. Almost, yeah. yeah. And so, and I, what you have on top of that is kind of this, this status quo where two thirds of them aren't getting any care at all. They're just out there like doing their best. And so how do you reach people like that? And I think it's, you know, and we're trying to, trying to move along this path. It's making it easier to, to use these tools, decreasing the price points, getting out to more and more people. I mean, these are, these are the things you can do. Damn. Yeah, it's like one of every eight. And that's like, that's a craziness. Yeah, and to, yeah, to, to, to get tools in the hands to reclaim our minds away from stress and anxiety, especially living in these times where everything's so ubiquitous around us, water, food, yeah, shelter, electricity, internet. But at the same time, some people struggle for even those things. And like, yeah, to be cognizant of that is so important. It is, but it's not to get down on it. Because, I mean, yeah. there is good news, right? I mean, One foot in each. Exactly. Yeah. Reality, but I mean... A lot of these new technologies, and we're just one of them, they can help. They really can. And yeah. I think there's a bright future for, for that kind of approach, for biofeedback in specific, specifically in mental health. Let's, Ron, let's cycle through those um, images um, quick. These are also available um, on the website. But just, you know, listening to your body, measuring your heart and breath to track stress, clinically proven biomarker of stress called HRV. And then let's go to the next one train and recover when you're under pressure learn to control your body's natural stress response through gentle safe biofeedback exercises just three minutes you can do it anywhere all right and then let's go to the next one and these are the real-time insights that we watched as well you can see kind of like that timeline from two to six o'clock and how you're performing through the day i've noticed the stress in your body has increased 20 percent in the last hour is it something you'd like to note customized exercise that might help only take three minutes so you get that okay and the next one and this is what you'd get when you get the package see it's a wireless charger mm -hmm. it's a good packaging design yeah and then the last one and then this is kind of what you get on the you have the haptic engine that gets you that vibration HRV and breath monitoring, lifestyle trends. So you, you get, do you get put into the eight-week program right off the bat? So there's a, there's a built-in program into the, in the device where you can go through audio lessons on your own time as well. 
Um, okay. And so that's in addition to a coach if you want it, a real human coach. So, okay. Yeah, you can do oh, both. Cool. Okay. And you can also connect it with your doctor, right, if you want. Um, we can, yeah. Yeah, one of the things that we've been when working on a lot this year is actually getting FDA, um, getting, uh, turning LEAF into a FDA medical product. And so we finally, I think, done that now. Uh, that's huge. Just, huge. It's, it's really huge because I, I feel like, you know, for me, I came into this because I had anxiety and didn't find help in the mental health system. And I think that there's such a huge need for that. Um, and you just have to play the game that, that exists, which is the regulatory frameworks of FDA and insurance reimbursal and things like that. And so, um, yeah. So then what, what, what does it look like then um, to have a device go through the FDA process? How did that work out? What is the future with that then? Yeah, uh, so you know what's really amazing about, about HRVB, HRV biofeedback in general, is this technology has been shown in lots of clinical studies to help a range of, a range of things. This is not just anxiety, but depression like we mentioned. We talked about substance abuse. I mean, it is, uh, it's not a silver bullet, but it helps with a wide variety of things. And so what we're actually considering at LEAF is kind of, you know, I mentioned the AI component of a lot of these devices and how they're kind of personalizing on the back end. Um, we're doing that as well and hoping to get these through FDA in the future as individualized therapeutics for digital therapeutics for all these mental health conditions, anxiety, depression, chronic pain, PTSD, yeah. substance abuse. And so I think that's the, that's the future with our company, trying to create these digital medicines, basically, that don't hurt you um, or have very low side effects compared to your average you know, pharmaceutical drug and are available to everyone at, at as low a price point as possible just so we can you know, scale the technology out. I like the, the com those combined words, digital therapeutic. That's a, you know, Adam Gazelli's working on that as well with Achille Interactive also doing. There's actually multiple companies now and you actually getting into um, FDA's medical devices is massive. So then basically will you be then, will Leaf Therapeutics be worn during clinical trials? Is that the idea? Yeah, so we're doing clinical trials now. Um, but because the device has been studied, the technology HRVB has been studied so much, we're actually already insurance reimbursable. So if you have a doctor who you want to use this with and you have a diagnosis of say anxiety or, or depression or something like this, you can get leave for free or maybe just a, a very small amount of copay through your insurance company today, which is a really cool option for people. And um, hmm. yeah, it's an advantage of going down the traditional medical device ECG route. Yeah, this is great. If you if you do um, get signed up with Leaf, it can do things like take you um, off of potentially the, um, the the pharmaceuticals that may be um, what you're using in order to find more meditative states away from stress or anxiety. Instead of nuking yourself, you could with pharmaceuticals, you could use the technology. There's so many cool solutions. Like to be able to have doc physicians, doctors, people that are running these trials have um, leaf therapeutics to give them moment to moment uh, biosignals on heart rate variability. I think, yeah, that's massive. That's really cool. It's been cool and it's been really fulfilling, you know, because this is so personal for me to just like talk to people who have used it and, you know, saying things like, you know, I've gone off all my anxiety meds and thank you so much and this is a godsend and, you know, it, like it feels like the thing I wish I had had, you know, and um, yeah, yeah, it makes it yeah. worth it. It feels good. I love that. I love it. And now 
like I want I wanted to I wanted to ask you about this maybe a little bit earlier. We kind of mentioned it, but this is like this is really hard stuff. Making hardware is so much different than you know just making like software as a service. Um, that's like so easily scalable and deployable, and hardware is like really hard because you actually have to go and find natural resources around the world, do it ethically, uh, create it ethically. Sometimes the parts have a supply chain from around the world. Um, so certain of your components come from like are manufactured in Shenzhen in China, and then certain ones in the United States, and they're assembled together. And this is and like the same thing with these devices, like these laptops and phones, is that you don't just want to like leave them in the drawer and buy the new one. You know, we gotta figure out. Yeah, we gotta figure out the ways to even the tech equipment we use here, all of our cameras um, and the units that we're using here to do this, like. How, how do we make a supply chain that is ethical, that is uh, better for the, for the ecology of the planet? That's such a great question. You know, um, I'm really lucky to work with um, you know, one of my colleagues, Billy Freeze, uh, on this project. He's our chief te technical officer at LEAF. And uh, you know, we both lived in China, but he lived there for a really long time, actually building the relationships with people living in Shenzhen, which is a huge you know, manufacturing hub for electronics, and the factory, and seeing how things are actually being done so that you can ensure that people are being treated correctly and that there's not exploitative labor practices going on, which is like easily possible. Yeah. Especially if you, you know, you're t picking up the phone and you're like, oh, hey, um, random factory I found in Vietnam or Malaysia or China. Um, make this thing that I want to make, you know, and make sure it's cheap. As cheap as possible. Right. Yeah. You never go over to actually meet these people to see face to face who they are, what their, you know, what their struggles are and this kind of yeah. thing. And then it's easy for, for unintended consequences to happen. So, I mean, I don't have a good answer for you in terms of like how to make a sustainable supply chain um, at a global scale, because we're, we're a startup. But from our perspective, I think, you know, that human connection is really important. Yeah, at least when you go um, to the place, to the, the other place in the world where you're looking to manufacture the electronics, at least then you have that that eye to eye connection when you actually go to the factory and you see you just want to make it ethical. Do you want to know where the resources are being brought from? The models, the business models themselves, are they month? Are they on a monthly? Um, reoccurring subscription or are they uh, an upfront purchase all these things are interesting to play with to see um, and then how does how does the biometrics work so like this is this is hard stuff to be able to measure something like um, ECG and then make that into some sort of a of a digital readout that I can see on my phone of oh look this is HRV this is Heart, heart rate, even heart rate. I mean, we've been doing this for a really long time with heart rate of just putting your yeah. finger on your pulse and then feeling how in a minute, 60 seconds, what you're, okay, that one makes sense. Okay. It does. What about heart rate variability? Like, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, everyone's got the heart rate, right? Feel your heart rate, you know how to count that, 60 seconds, uh, that's your BPM. But uh, heart rate variability, people don't know about yet a lot. Although it's like becoming more and more common, a lot of athletes now like uh, are, are tracking their HRV, right? Because it, it's measuring the stress in their bodies so that they know, oh, hey, I need to lay off my practice today. I shouldn't, you know, work my body too hard. So it's it's percolating out there, but it's still early days. And basically, you know, 
if you think about what is what is HRV and, and how how do these tools all work, they're kind of you know basically measuring uh, the tiny millisecond different times uh, between one heart to, heartbeat to the next. So let's say you were at um, mm. you know imagine you're watching your own heart rate on one of those ECG monitors at a hospital and it's like deep 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 right and you're seeing your your heart's beating there. There's actually tiny, tiny little differences in the timing between one heartbeat to the next, and that's the variability, and that's the variation. And it turns out that the more variation you have, actually the healthier your system is. You want your body to be able to respond adaptively to what's happening around it, and mm -hmm. if, if your heart's too tense and the, and the rate of your heart is too tight, that's actually a sign that you might be at risk of death, um, cardiac mortality, and, and other types yeah. of mortality. So. It's funny because like HRV as a biomarker now it's used for athletes, it's used for stress, but it started as a signal for cardiologists because they were like, oh, hey, people tend to die when they have a very low HRV number. So it's connected to your mind and your body in a, in a very deep way. Yeah, well, okay, so then we have the, yeah, so between every single one of these, we get a boom, boom on the beat and between every single one of those, if you have, what is it normally, it's somewhere between, so basically if it's like 900 milliseconds and then it's like 1100 milliseconds and then 800 milliseconds between these um, beats, that then that's good. That's and good. And if it's always flat 1000 milliseconds, one second every, every beat, we're talking like you're gonna die soon because go to the hospital. You go to the hospital. Okay, interesting. And then so if it's a, if it's like always 900 or always 800 or whatever it is, then your HRV score is gonna be really low. Super low. If it's really flexible, you're really adaptive. Like your body's like really maybe in flow and it can adapt more. It's less stressed. It's high heart rate variability. It's a good way okay. to think about it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Trying to learn, trying to learn. It's, no, good. It's, it's good. We're learning too. I mean, honestly, HRV as a field is probably like, you know, 20 years in the past in terms of really like looking at the right signals. So I think that there's a lot of new stuff coming out, especially like, like we're doing and others are doing, applying AI to the signal, um, especially if it's a really high accuracy, like ECG from your heart. There's a lot in there about your health and your emotional state. And yeah, stay tuned. We'll see, see what comes out of it. Yeah. Yeah, and to be able to have algorithms that can tell by the millisecond level of what's happening, that's complicated. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll, talk, <laughs> we'll talk about that in, in another program if we can get, get deeper into that. What's the future with, um, with wearables and biometric readouts? So if we're constantly measuring this fourth dimension of time moment mm -hmm. to moment, um, and we're just going to have a constant panel of all of our biometrics running all the time that are going up to the cloud that are being processed to give us like relatable insights and recommendations. I, you know, I don't know, but from where, from what I have seen in the field and you know, where we're sitting, it seems like devices are getting smarter and smarter at predicting what your health is going to be and what, your inter what you should do to make your health better. In, in real time, you know? And so, I don't know, when was the last time you, you like went to go see your doctor, or primary care doctor? Um, it's been a fucking long time. It's been a long time, right? Yeah. And it, it, when you went there, it wasn't like you had a 
four-hour conversation about like, sure all not. your health and it's where like you some should twenty-minute in and out. In and out, right? And so you know that's a fundamental problem. That's a huge problem. Yeah. And so how do you get around that? I think I mean the only solutions that are really out there that I see are technology-based. You know, it's like that stuff scales. And so you know, what does it look like to have an AI that really knows? how you're feeling, how your health is, and also based on having seen millions of people that yeah. are kind of similar to you, what you need to be doing to make it better at the right time, nudging you in the right ways. And that I think will be super helpful. I want that, I'd love to be healthier and happier. And yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah I mean, you look at things like, you know, just a couple days ago actually, uh, United Health Group, which is like this huge, yeah. huge, uh, I think they're the biggest healthcare company by revenue in the, in the world. And they just got fined by the state of California, or cited, for not providing enough mental health services to their, to their patients. And this has happened with other healthcare companies, like yeah. Kaiser got, got a $4 million fine a few years ago for the same thing. So yeah, to your question about like, what does it look like in the future, it feels like technology can actually play a role where we don't have enough physicians, we don't have enough people, nurses, mental health people to help everybody, and so we need to learn how to help ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's huge when you learn how to help ourselves. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. There's a lot to still unpack even with that. Like turning like like turning on music when my biometrics are stressed, and then all of a sudden I'm listening to calming music and I'm breathing, and it's like as simple as that. You know, there's yeah. There's many different ways to absolutely explore that. Um, let's do the internet party. So this was founded um, in 2016. So it's been about like three and a half-ish years now. And so, what is the Internet Party? Um, what is Liquid Democracy? We have a little um, demo as well um, to show of this. But we have a new, it's a new political party where you decide how your representatives vote. And then, American democracy is in dire straits. 71% of Americans say they don't trust the government. Only one in 10 approve of Congress. Two-party system is broken. What if you could upgrade the OS of the government without a constitutional amendment? Sign in to vote on legislation important to you via the secure portal. Discuss and vote on all upcoming legislation as well as propose new legislation. Choose someone to vote on everything else. Okay, so this is a proxy system. Okay, so let's start unpacking this a little bit. So the general um, idea right now is that one of the things um, that even that's as really as old as the as the dawn of time is this idea of how to have a of of a fabric of governance for society that um, that is just that makes it so that people can't um, do commit acts of violence that there is someone that is at least trying to take care of the the roads that everybody is using right all these types of things but it's difficult to to figure out how to optimally run that obviously there needs to be some sort of like a taxes to pay for those roads and that then you need to make it so that it's there's no there's no corruption as little as possible hopefully none but the idea of like me becoming educated enough myself to vote on the way that the government runs is hard because people are choosing to not uh, invest the time into educating themselves on every single piece of, of legislature is, is almost impossible. Probably is. So the idea is maybe a proxy system, which is hard because you, you want people to be educated and vote themselves, but you also 
want to create another degree of freedom, which is maybe Rohan's really well educated on on the way that um, the FDA can work with with hardware companies, and so. Um, I can give my, I can proxy my vote to Rohan instead of having to read this legend, this bill. Yeah. That, yeah, I mean, you make a great point. I mean, it's an idea as old as time. How do we govern ourselves effectively and best? And I don't know, how do you feel, how do you feel the world's doing right now? We're a long way to go from governing ourselves. However, I'm all for it. We need to, the, this old antiquated system to just go away. We need to grow up. We need to become responsible. We need to stop fucking around. Yes, sir. Yeah, the monkey politics are old, and so is the war over land and religion and money. It's all old, and there's a big awakening of people saying that shit's old. Um, and so that's good. But to, but to figure this out is... I mean, yeah, so what I digitally, I digitally sign up on the platform and then I view all of the legislature in what, the state level, the county level, the federal level, I mean, yeah, all of those options? So here's how it works. Okay. Basically, you have a candidate who runs, for example, I'm running uh, for city council next year here in the Bay Area, and a candidate on this platform, which we're calling the Internet Party, is essentially just a remote control. They are going to vote how the people in their district want them to vote. And you know I'm gonna run, and if you want, you can trust me with your vote. You can proxy to me. That's like how representative democracy works now, right? So Nancy Pelosi runs for uh, the House of Representatives in our district, and we vote for her, and then she's gonna vote on our behalf. She is our proxy. The numbers got outrageous. They used to be just 30,000 um, people to each representative in Congress. Now it's 600,000 people to each representative in Congress. Exactly. It, it would be, I think, around 8,000 total representatives in, in Congress if, if the numbers scaled appropriately. And so that's a really key insight because maybe some of the reason that our democracy is failing in this country is because it's structurally not designed for this many people. Mm. And the system itself just needs to have more throughput. Can you really expect a couple hundred representatives to represent the will of, you know, hundreds of millions of people, especially if, you know, they're on the phone fundraising every day? That's when you get the lobbyists and the corruption. And Are you running for reals? Yeah, I am. Just, oh, yeah. really? Yes. Best of luck to Thank you, sir. If We're, I find out you step out of line and, uh, you know, go to the dark side, I'm going to come. I'm gonna come well, you can you. just log in on your phone and take my vote away, so you'll be good. You'll be good, but yeah, what we're trying to do is basically target a city in the Bay Area and run enough internet party candidates all at once so that we can basically take over the whole system, capture majority control of a city, and learn, hey, I mean, to your point, like, can we actually govern ourselves? What does it look like to have a long tail of democracy where there are not just you know nine council members in, say, the city of Berkeley, where I live, making decisions, but maybe there's 900 people all engaged in the democratic system to varying degrees working together in this distributed network. And I think that is how, if you were to redesign democracy, you would mm. actually try to do it, right? I mean, we're not riding around in a horse and carriage anymore. I'm not sending you a carrier pigeon message every time I need to get a hold of you, right, man? I'm like texting you, so. Yeah. We're not up against muskets and cannonballs anymore either. That's the, that's <laughs> the most big thing that you need to worry. <laughs> the wars are gonna be entirely different. Mind control. And, you know, uh, 
and to your point, uh, we need better ways of, of dealing with this because you know war is war yeah, is a yeah. real thing that could happen, and you know we need effective government in order for people to be well taken care of, so they don't feel like they need a scapegoat, whoever it might be, whether it's you know a country or an immigrant or whatever. So, so we can do something like have nine hundred people that are being that are representing maybe like a hundred or two hundred thousand um, instead in an in an area in a in a city, and then those. Um, 900 people are constantly getting uh, uh, either like uh, pro votes being proxied to them or away from them if they're not voting in the direction of what the um, popular vote is. So they have the final call to mirror the popular vote or not. And if they don't, then they usually will people will be like, I don't trust that anymore because they didn't mirror the popular vote. So that's kind of like the general. Right. Principle. I mean, we actually have a contract people sign where they say, if I'm if I'm running as a candidate, I'm gonna I'm gonna vote according to the will of the app. But really, they're just I mean, you can imagine a politician doesn't really matter. They're just gonna they're almost like a note taker. They're like a secretary for yeah. this democratic system. That's the process is happening on your phone. The process is happening outside of the House of Legislature, outside of Congress, outside of the City Council, and people themselves are engaging. And you know, you might you know, have 10 people that are proxy to you. So, you know, you're not like a huge stakeholder, but you are a, you are a representative in the system who has some weight that they can throw around. We kind of have this already with these influencers that, yeah, or, you know, yeah, in a sense, like people will take something that someone um, tweets or posts on YouTube as, you know, as advice for their political decision making. Yeah. And you've seen the, the dark side of an influencer too, right? Where they may, do, they may do something where people don't like it and immediately their followers are like, they start disappearing by the hundreds of thousands or millions and deals disappear and all kinds of stuff. So it's yeah. like that feedback loop is what yeah. we need because that's, that's what a good system is, right? It's based on being able to look at the situation as it exists and make good decisions. And if we're blocked for whatever reasons around campaign finance or you know, money and politics or whatever the, I mean, there are many issues that are affecting our democracy now. If we're blocked on that, let's find a way around it. Let's create a solution, you know, before things spiral potentially out of, out of control. And I, this is our shot to do it. I don't know if we have all the right answers, but we're, we're giving it a try. Yeah, liquid democracy is a very interesting uh, project and the internet parties really, again, it's potentially has one of the lines of code for the future, which is this idea of proxy um, voting and representatives mirroring the popular vote and making it all done through through our internet technology. Um, so then, it, yeah, I guess I just have one more thought around it. Would it be then that you uh, have a portal of all of the different um, bills that are currently being done at the state, federal, county level, et cetera, and then you, and then you either pick your vote on it or you then pick your person that you want to proxy to on that specific bill or maybe you can select multiple bills and say this person proxy to those bills? Usually nine times out of ten people are going to proxy to someone they trust and that could be a politician, that could be you know um, their Uncle Joe who knows a lot about politics and they trust his opinion. Um, Uncle, Joe. Uncle Joe! Shout out to Uncle Joe! I mean, and there are... actually had a... Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's dead now. <laughs> took a dark turn but you know uh, Okay. Yeah, so, so that's basically the idea that you would proxy to people for the most part, you know, for, for bills that you 
that you don't know a lot about and, and most people don't. But here's where, I mean, just to, just to kind of round out the idea, here's where it gets really crazy because, I mean, I mentioned just to bring it back to the very beginning, I got depressed reading the newspaper, figuring out how the world works as a kid, right? And I feel like this for the first time is a solution that could change the entire structure of the world, the government system of the world, because what we're talking about is a hack, you know, not like a negative hack, but like a, a clever trick around representative democracy. But dude, if you look at the G20, the 20 largest economies in the world, uh, 18 of them are representative democracies. Japan, the United Kingdom. Think about this not just happening here in America in the city council in Berkeley where we're running, but in the state of California, in the Congress, and then beyond as one country and then another falls to the system of direct smartphone governance. What kind of global democracy could we build? What kind of future could we actually create out of that beyond the United Nations? And, and all the problems that it has. You know, can we solve these problems uh, through, through technology? And would you then say that there, that making a technology like this could actually get uh, its what 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 would it solve our global coordination problem? Because at times it also is like. Well, who controls the government? Who controls the media? Who controls education and healthcare and all these different sectors, entertainment? Who controls these sectors? And then when you think about who controls all that, who controls them, those people that control that? So are there forces that are at play that are beyond this 3D physical world that are at play through humans as channels that are trying to take control of the planet? You talking about spirit animals or aliens from another dimension? Rage against the machines, think about <laughs> And the sun testify. I mean, there's Who a- controls the past now, <laughs> controls the future. And Rage had a good point. I mean, you know, there are definitely, you know, Trump talks a lot about elites. And, and there's some, you know, there's almost nothing I agree with um, in general. Uh, <laughs> Uh, You're going to be in all careful and stuff. Right, right, right. Yeah, let, me, let me be careful with what I say. But, um, but I mean, there is, it is true that there is a small percentage, a very, very tiny percentage of the human population that makes like 95% of the important decisions for everybody. And I would just posit that maybe that could be a source of the problems that we're having now and the inequality and, and uh, rising challenges. And then who controls them? So who controls the individual people? Yeah, who, yeah, who controls yeah, the ones that are making the decisions for like 95% of the planet? Romulus. Or what, I, it's, it's like a reptilian. I, I, I met him once. <laughs> he told me I, to keep my mouth shut. It's, uh, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, a lot of these things, it's easy to create a conspiracy theory around, but you can also use Occam's razor and just kind of imagine, yeah. you know, we've stumbled into this democratic system. We stumbled into this world we live in now, not through anyone in particular's design, but just through like historical ha happenstance and accident, and you know. How does Occam's razor explain what creation is? Oh, that's outside my pay grade. I'm gonna have to kind of have to find somebody else on the simulation podcast for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting question, though. Yeah, and <clears throat> and then also, <clears throat> there's so many other things that Occam's razor does. Um, break down um, and I think it's a very important um, scientific process of course but it's also um, there needs to be room for spirituality there needs to be room for um, 
creation, there needs to be room for um, what could be beyond the 3D world that yet science can't probe at yet and it's learning how to. Do you think we're in a simulation? Uh, from the perspective of who? From your perspective? <laughs> from my perspective? Uh, possibly. I don't know. How do you feel about it? It's, uh, it's hard to know what the experiment would be to, you know, for me, to be able to disambiguate, you know, to actually, to test that as a hypothesis. So I don't know. I'm not sure. What do you think is the most beautiful thing in the world? Oh man, love. Yeah, that's pretty great, right? Tell us more. Yeah, uh, gosh, like I, I told you I had, I had anxiety as a kid and, and uh, it never really went away. Got a little better with like meditating a little more. But um, one of the things I found when I was in the, in the mountains with those, with those monks and later just meditating by myself was love. You know, I learned how to love myself and like accept myself and it's crazy, but I just never done that over the course of my entire life. And as a practice, like learning to love yourself, I think gives you this bandwidth where you can give it to other people and it's so key, it's so important. And so, yeah, I think that's the most beautiful thing in the world. Yeah, I love it, I love it. Oof, what a good conversation. Ron, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, sir. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. We'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments below on the episode. Let us know what you're thinking. Have more conversations with your friends, families, coworkers, people online on social media about things like leaf therapeutics, about heart rate variability, about fighting stress and anxiety. Also have more conversations about things like the internet party and the ways that we can move forward and with optimizing our social fabric and our governance structures. And check out the links in the bio below, getleaf.com, as well as thenet.party and all the Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn profiles down there. Check those out. And also, shout out to Ron Vagas for producing and directing. Thank you very much, Ron. And also support the artists, the entrepreneurs, the spiritual leaders, the organizations around the world that you believe in. Support them, help them grow. All of simulations links are below our Patreon, PayPal, cryptocurrency links, our design merchant get paid link. Support us, help us grow. And go and build the future, everyone. Manifest your dreams into the world. We love you very much. Thanks for tuning in. Go build it. We will see you soon. Peace.